Hello, and welcome to Collaborative Alchemy. My name is Sarah Greenman, and I'm a creative alchemist, artist, storyteller, writer, and facilitator. I believe that your creativity is a gift meant to be wielded with great love and joy. It is a bone-deep tool for justice, healing, and revelatory collective liberation. Collaborative Alchemy is a series of conversations with artists, thought leaders, activists, farmers, educators, creatives, and other polymaths, where we tell our stories, expand our histories, and hold space for new ways of being. My guest today is Mindy Sonash Choi, artist, activist, bridge builder, and the founder of the Be Seen Project. This is a grassroots mutual aid initiative resourcing and amplifying BIPOC artists and makers who are using their work to center marginalized voices and create social justice and cultural change. Mindy works at the intersection of creativity, identity, belonging, and social justice, and it is my extreme pleasure to talk with Mindy today. Mindy, welcome. I'm so thrilled to spend some time with you today. Tell us a little bit about your story. Well, I'm super happy to be here, Sarah. Thank you so much for inviting me. Um, It's really been a lovely experience getting to know you over this past year and your work and in your community and the things that you're creating. So I'm honored to be here and really excited to dive in. So gosh, my story, like where do you begin, right? Start <laughs> where you love. Um, right. So um, I'm a queer intersectional feminist, uh, a Korean American adoptee. I am an artist and an activist and it's taking me, taken me half a lifetime to get here. Uh, it's been a journey through my creative practices and just my creative identity to begin to understand and really unpack so many different aspects of my intersectional identity. And I didn't really quite understand that at the beginning of my creative journey. It really, for me, was about you know self-expression and connecting with other creatives. And in the beginning, like really making that first hard pivot to claim the title artist with a capital A as someone who didn't go to art school or didn't take any special trainings, um, you know, just fighting that imposter syndrome all along when I knew like deep down that I was inherently an artist. And then I finally realized, you know, through the years of blogging way back in the golden blogging age of all the creative bloggers and making work and connecting community and building community. Um, it finally occurred to me that being an artist and being creative wasn't something that I like to do. It was an, an identity that I really needed to claim and did. Um, I embraced it. And once I saw that and understood and made that differentiation between, you know, how the world sees artists in this very narrow view and sees creativity in such a narrow way, it really expanded my worldview. And that's been my journey sort of with every facet of my identity uh, in terms of being identified as queer, being identified as an activist, being um, someone who grew up uh, surrounded by whiteness as a Korean transracial adoptee. Mm -hmm. Um, And so really unpacking bit by bit all those identities and what it means for me, how I move through the world and using my creativity and my art making as a vehicle to have conversations and to process my experience and to connect with others. 
So it's been a long journey of a lot of different things happening at the same time. But creativity and you know making art has always been the core of what has held everything at its foundation. Oh, Mindy, speaking my language. <laughs> <laughs> So my work, you know, is is the creative alchemy cycle, and I, um, I too have used creativity as a a way to bricklay paths back to myself, and also to lay pathways forward into a a new and imagined future, um, that one that's ethical and one that uh, has sort yes. of heartful ecologies at the center of them where we come back to ourselves, which means coming back to each other, to me. Uh, I would yes. love to hear, because, um, you know, to say creativity was a transformational tool that brought me home is one thing. The how is what I know so many people have questions about. You're like, yes, but how? I would love to hear specifically some of the ways in which your creative practice and your creative process were actually bridges to a, an excavation or a self-discovery or a self-revealing. Absolutely, yes. Um, and I resonate with everything that you just shared so much. Um, it is a pathway and a process. Um, and you are simultaneously opening doorways into yourself as you are opening doorways into your presence in the world. Um, and really understanding that as we move through our creative practices is so helpful. And I think in the beginning for me, what it was, and I didn't notice it until much later, but even as a blogger and starting to share some of my writing and some of my photography and projects online, I was really building a bravery muscle. Mm -hmm. And I, and people would talk about, you know, being brave with your art um, as a way to, you know, build tools to become, you know, quote unquote artists. But what I began understanding was building that bravery muscle was really about being able to integrate these identities that felt scary, that felt outside of our bounds, that felt um, defined by someone else and not be able to be defined by ourselves. So it was in making art, sharing art, connecting with other creative people and really just redefining what that means for myself and, you know, deconstructing any other, you know, normatives around those ideas that would prevent me from, you know, claiming that identity for myself. So it really was about bravery and flexing the bravery muscle and, you know, learning to sit with discomfort, being able to tell my truth when it was hard. So all of these things were really integral to being able to claim identities and set my own spaces of belonging and connect with other artists and creatives. It's funny you talk about bravery because we hear that a lot. Just be brave. We do. It's like memeish. You know? <laughs> yes. But um, you're pointing at practicing vulnerability, which yes. I say is like a scary edge dwelling place. Right. And I find that the people who are edge dwellers are really making enormous impact right now uh, in, in terms of the social justice movement and the racial reckoning we're seeing in our country right now. Those people who live on the edge of um, 
as as Shakespeare would say, just like blowing your reputation, right? You're <laughs> exactly like you, there you have to be sort of on the edge of, um, as you say, discomfort about that. Um, yes. I think practicing vulnerability is one of the, the most exciting parts of a creative creative practice for me. And I love that you've sort of put yes. your finger on that. You also mentioned um, connecting with other creatives and um and other people in community through this work. I just did an interview with uh, for another project with a really incredible um, man named Lloyd Commander, and he is an elder in the Umatilla Nation. And I asked him, you know, what do you do? And he said, oh, that's the wrong question. Uh, the question is, who are my people? <laughs> and so I loved that, that belonging is where we start. Um, yes. So I would love to hear from you what what is your understanding of belonging? What does it smell like and taste like and feel like in and manifest in your life? Mm, that's such a good way to ask that question. Because now, um, you know, sitting squarely and heading into 50, you know, right in the midpoint of my life, I'm really looking and thinking about belonging in new ways. I think had you asked me uh, back in, you know, early 2000s when I was sort of beginning my creative journey, belonging, I would have described as like being accepted, being welcomed by community and others. And now, especially as an activist, as an edge dweller, as someone who has skin in the game, um, belonging, I think, is really about self-reclamation and claiming spaces and naming them for ourselves. Um, it's so attached to identity. And it's really, for me and all of my work around belonging, I'm trying to divest from this idea that we can create it for others and name it for others. Because um, I think that's a really slippery slope um, and it's a false promise for us to say. Because belonging is felt from within, as you described. And when you ask the question, it's a visceral experience. And we really know in our bodies when we feel like we belong. And it's not about like seeing a welcome sign on the door. It really is a sense of being known psychologically, culturally, socially, like all these different layers that create belonging in a space and then allow us to be able to feel that sense of belonging. Yeah. Oh, so good. Do you feel like creativity is still a path towards belonging? I do. I think creativity is breaks down barriers. I think the, the kinesthetic process of actually making and deconstructing and also just the metaphor of like being in the creative mess is so powerful when you can use that as a vehicle to understand the process of vulnerability and getting from, you know, point A to point B. I think um, it's an extremely powerful vehicle to use as a process to create more belonging and also, you know, bring people in who might not feel safe enough or brave enough to participate in the conversation without that being the vehicle. So I love using creativity as, you know, the container to really what I'm doing is having hard conversations, but it really looks like I'm hosting an art workshop <laughs> and you know we're doing both at the same time but um it's more it feels more inviting and it feels 
like you have a soft place to land with being in the making. And so, yes, I absolutely um, will always, and it's just part of how I move through the world, you know, use creativity in, in every way that I can to connect with other people. Because I think also our expression of creativity is inherently part of who we are. It is a part of our identity, is a, it is a part of our life experiences, our location. It's a timestamp of us in every moment, what we create. So it's really instructive to see what we create and to be in that process and to look at what we're inclined to make. So it's all part of that juicy stew. <laughs> I often think of my creativity as like a system in the body. Like I have a circulatory system and a nervous system, right. like a creative system. And if I don't <laughs> make something, then like, how does it have a caloric intake and continue to function and like do its job, which is to help me wake up. And so, yes, <laughs> I, I love that. I love that thinking of it that way. It is an embodied experience for sure. Well, I think stoma somatic. Yes. To me. It's like in the skin and in the organs. And yes, yes. And I think we, we miss that piece so often in creative conversations that create creativity and art. It's just something you do or it's an end result. But for me, creativity is all about the process and the experience. I love your um, idea that, you know, I'm, I want to have a really deep and meaningful excavatory conversation, but it looks like an art workshop. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I often feel like if, if we can sit down and start making together in community, that that's a kind of um, a vulnerability practice, as you say. Yes. And so that it, it's warming you up without knowing you're being warmed up <laughs> yes. for the next thing, which is to self-reveal on your own terms, you know, that's right. that it's on your own terms and you don't feel forced into it, but that something comes next and, and we won't know what it is until it happens. And I love that sort of spontaneous quality of that deep dive work. I do as well. Yes. I think um, when we can be in the organic journey of discovery, um, even just through creative process, it, it opens up a lot of different pathways for us along the way. So you recently wrote a beautiful blog post that I've already shared with my community through my newsletter, just because it, um, it broke me wide open, Mindy. It was so beautiful. It's entitled The Cost of Selling Belonging. And you wrote um, in your opening gosh it was i think it's your opening sentence you wrote as someone who used to sell belonging and believed i was creating something universally magical magical in italics i now have fresh eyes on the harm that i once caused i understand what can and was incredibly healing and impactful for some was at the same time excluding marginalizing and undervaluing for others and when i read this sentence mindy i it arrested me because it was a mirror to the work I'm doing. Uh, and I had lots of questions for myself. <laughs> yes. But immediately, I mean, I didn't need to read the rest of the article to even start thinking, oh my God, you know, but I did, of course, it's beautiful. Please go read it if you have a chance on Mindy's website. But I would love for you to speak a little more to that journey that you're on. Yes. So directly, it's so hard to extrapolate the different parts, but um, 
you know, as I said, belonging initially for me was about always being accepted. And as someone who grew up Korean and inside of a white identity, that was the modus operandi of survival. I had to just be accepted by the white community that I was surrounded by, my white family, right? So it was that idea that belonging was about acceptance that I grew up with, that I had to really unpack and examine and took me a very long time to get to that deep layer. And as someone who did in my own work, you know, build these communities where people would come and, you know, make amazing art and share amazingly intimate experiences and, you know, have really powerful um, stories to share. I would look around and none of my communities would look like me. And all of the people surrounding me would have, you know, similar backgrounds, similar economic status, similar abilities. And I would began to think, hmm, there's something not right about this. And this yeah. is long before, uh, you know, we were sort of in this racial reckoning. And so I always knew there was something off for me personally in that context. But as, as an adoptee who never identified with my Asian um, race until much, much, much later in life, I was unable to see, you know, my own internalized oppression in terms of my own sense of how I fit in and where I belonged in these spaces. I identified as white, so it felt like I belonged as a white person in white spaces, and I created white spaces. And so as the gap between my understanding of my own identities grew uh, from dominant narratives, and again, this took you know, years and years of social practice and understanding and excavation, as you say, um, to really know that belonging in these spaces that we create, especially as, you know, someone who used to work entrepreneurially as an artist, that so much of what we create, are creating are, is based on certain accessibility in terms of, you know, economics, physical and emotional accessibility, um, you know, things that we hadn't ever really been having conversations about and things that I didn't understand. I had no language for, but I did always have the ability to sense the gaps. And I think as someone who has moved through the world, you know, as a minority and marginalized in many ways, you know, I was always aware of the gaps and the gaps for, you know, creative community always um, really highlighted this experience that we as a, an industry, creative living industry, often see created as, you know, building this longing. Mm. So people will come to certain workshops, events, classes, because, you know, it's not just about the experience of making something, it really, really deeply is about people wanting to be in community and being seen. And when we leverage the longing, which is I think a base human need of being seen. And when we put that on the table as a commodity, uh, it becomes really problematic really fast. Um, and I hadn't really seen that until probably the past couple of years when I was really unpacking that um, in my own communities and in my own work. 
because it's very confronting. As you said, it brings up a lot of questions and a lot of discomfort and a lot of practices that you have to, once you see them, you can't unsee them. And so it puts you right in the position to have to make changes and change is hard and scary as we all know. So I'm still in it. I feel like I'm at the beginning of a new belonging practice. And I think, you know, this label that I'm sort of trying on as a radical belonging activist feels like it fits really well because I'm really trying to get at the marrow of, you know, the ideas of what creates the sense of belonging, which is, you know, about identity. It is about, um, you know, structures and systems and all the things that we've been bumping into this past year, but it's also about this very deeply entrenched industry as, you know, artists and creatives that we have been sold over the last decade as, you know, many of us have come through that industry as entrepreneurs, as community builders, as space holders, um, and really, you know, using that belonging uh, leverage to build our communities. Thank you so much for that beautiful sort of explanation of where you're at in the process. Um, it's beautiful to hear you say, I'm beginning. <laughs> and to be a beginner and the kind of grace that comes with being a beginner, because I think so many of us who are the edge dwellers and who are on it, in the process of changing everything about how we work and how we build community, we are all mostly beginners. There are people who have been doing praxis work like this for decades and God sure. bless them. And I'm so glad to, <laughs> right. you know, to help me um, just knit together my own gaps. Um, and I lift them up in this work. Uh, but most of us are beginners. And I think there's um, sometimes a like a, a shadow cast around what it means to be a beginner. It, it does mean that um, accountability practices need to be robust. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. going to make mistakes. Um, and that's just part of it. And I, and I love how the creative process, which is about to me, happy mistakes that show me new things about myself and my work. Absolutely. Mixes with my social justice action and the sort of happy mistakes that I do make that, that are like curtains that open up to whole other um, inquiries that I didn't know I was interested in making. <laughs> so um, I love that you've mentioned being a beginner in this work. So let's imagine together, like what are you imagining when you think forward to new ecologies and new, new economies and ways of being in right relationship with a remunerative process and a, a reparations process too that, that actually honors land and people and um, effort and emotional labor and work. Uh, right. What does that look like to you when you in your radical imagination? I love, <laughs> you know, I love the um, radical belonging activists. It's like, mwah, chef. <laughs> so it does feel yummy. It what feels like it yummy feel? territory. <laughs> I think so much of it I am learning is a reframe, right? It's a mental reframe. Like I think I often at the beginning really felt like, oh, we have to like reinvent the wheel, which in some ways that is true. But in many ways, I think we've always had the ability as humans who work, live, need community to really 
care and lift each other up, right? We, I think we've lost that, that wisdom in this like hyper individualist culture that we've bred. I mean, we've lost it in our families and I feel it every day, like how our families are so fractured and far away from each other. Um, you know, we don't have that, that ancestral foundation anymore. And so the hyper individuality of like now having to be left to figure everything out on our own. Um, I think really we forget that like so much of our wisdom is, is inherent. It's in our lineage, it's in our ancestry. It's in those practices of, you know, long, long, long ago, generations ago. So I'm thinking about that a lot. And then I'm thinking about how we weave together like this idea of mutuality, of not non-hierarchical systems, uh, of, you know, really being able to give autonomy to everybody in the space and making choices. And I think so much of the work is just about truth telling. Um, you know, we can educate and share knowledge, but I think the core of it is we have to always tell the truth. And I think it's so hard for many of us to look at the truth, to even acknowledge and accept it. So I think that's part of my work too, is really just digging deep and rooting into the truth and saying what's true and being okay with the consequences and, you know, really aligning my actions and trusting that, you know, in doing that, I'll know where to go next. That kind of deep trust is, is missing. It is. Rowan, Rowan White, who's an indigenous seed keeper, uh, talks about the diaspora of disconnection that we are living mm. in right now and that it's that that identifies our community are disconnected yeah. and yes I, it broke my heart when i heard it um said yeah. that way i knew it in my bones right we have things like that we know in our bones that when we hear it our bones shake a little bit like yes 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 and um the work i want to be doing in the world is to shatter that kind of disconnection rather than to sell belonging or to leverage yes. belonging as a tool for making money. Um, I would rather have it be something that moves out and away from me that gets dispersed rather yes. than pulled in. Yes, and that's I, such a good frame. I think about that in, in my own choices as, a, as an entrepreneur, as a solo practitioner of my work. I mean, I, I am sitting out here in a shed in Eastern Oregon, you know, in the back of an alley, <laughs> like trying to make my work. And it can, feel, it can feel isolating and that I am pulling things in, but I really do think about ripple work and ripple. Yes. Um, and what you're talking about here is like resonating really big in my head about that. Um, so let's talk about the Be Seen project because that is one of the ways I see you doing the ripple work um, is this beautiful, beautiful organization that you uh, have founded, yes? Talk to me about yes. it. Yes, yes, oh my gosh. So the Be Seen project was in many ways a happy accident, uh, but I think it also was one of those seeds from long ago. Um, it was something that I had scribbled in my inspiration notebook, maybe back in like 2015 when I was deep in the inquiry of my own uh, queer identity and I was unpacking that layer 
Um, and I did all of this like within the creative community where you know people were mostly just talking about art and creativity. And I wanted to talk about like all the juicy things, <laughs> which was interesting. <laughs> yes. So um, I had written in my notebook that like, wouldn't it be great if you know we had the understanding and the space to really step in and just fully be seen all the time in all of our, you know, imperfections, marginalization, marginalizations, gifts, like the full depth and breadth of like who we are. Um, and I think back then I hadn't thought yet about what that looked like and how that would impact the space in terms of intersectionality and, you know, dealing with race and anti-oppression and all of those things. So I knew in the, I, there was something just inherently knowing that it just wasn't time for this project yet. Fast forward to 2020, um, I was, had just begun a new job working as executive director for SWAM Art Workshops, which is a very well-known art retreat um, organization that, um, it's been around a long time, very much a leader in the creative community in many ways. And that whole journey um, was an experience as well that I'm still processing, but very much parallel to my own, claiming my own identity inside of whiteness. I was claiming my own creative identity inside of similar structures that were building privilege for uh, not for folks who were marginalized, right? For people who had more privilege. And so when I lost that job because of the pandemic and clearly the world shut down and then we were facing this, you know, global health crisis. And then um, we were recognizing how the pandemic was marginalizing folks of color and how Asian Americans were becoming under fire because of the rhetoric that was being spoken. Um, and we were really in this racial reckoning as well. So all of those things sort of co-conspired to really be the perfect storm for and me to be able to say, it's time, it's time for the Be Seen Project. And I knew the Be Seen Project um, would center, you know, Black, Indigenous artists and makers of color. I didn't exactly know how in the very beginning. Um, as my, you know, I was building the ship as it went out to sea, but I knew it was time and I knew it was an important, going to be an important piece of my own work in terms of um, building new community. And I was in that inquiry as well of like, you know, I had done DEI work, diversity, equity, and inclusion work in white spaces and really in that deep inquiry of like, can we really make something that's an orange into an apple? Like you can't, it's, it's really, difficult question that we're, I think we're all really wrestling with of like, can you make something that is not diverse, that is so entrenched and built on dominant culture in its DNA? Can you infuse it? Can you shift it? Can you change it and actually make it equitable and inclusive? I truly believe that that is not possible. Um, I think we can do our best to make those spaces less marginalizing for many people. But I was in the inquiry also of like, what would it look like if I built a community from the ground up as diverse? You know, as far as I could reach in my, with, and I know I have, you know, my own limited lens, but as far as I could see and reach, 
um, it was a bit of a social experiment too. And I had never built a community that mirrored my own self back to me. And so I really wanted to do that. And I needed that. I think being in this moment where like we were in this racial pandemic and I was, am always because of my social location surrounded by white folks, um, you know, including my husband, including my mom and dad. Um, I really needed, you know, BIPOC space. And so I created it and I knew right away once I had logged into the IG account, I heard the next day about George Floyd's murder. Mm-hmm. And so I knew that moment, like really defined the Be Seen Project to be a project that amplifies and uplifts, you know, makers and artists who are using their work specifically um, in social justice and activist ways. Oh, it's so powerful. I have been following the Be Seen Project since its inception, just because you you came on my map right away, on my Instagram map. <laughs> <laughs> and it's been so exciting. Um, Folks, if you want to go uh, check it out, it's at uh, bseenproject.org. And um, in what ways have you felt uh, have you felt seen in the last year? So, so many layers to that question. And I think initially, um, I felt the most seen to my own self. <laughs> I think there were so many parts of my own identity that I had hidden away. Because they were so complicated. Yes. And it is the most important for sure. Um, And so, and it's interesting how so many of these projects that we create um, really give us the ability to process and show up in other aspects of our lives, right? We're um, nothing that I make is just like a thing or a finished product. Everything I create, build, imagine is also a part own growth and um you know claiming of who I am and you know building that out and expanding my lens so the BC project at first just really reflected back to me that like wow this is what it looks like to be in a space with not all white folks and not all folks who are really similar in nature and what a immediate like world universal explosion of like there's so many other creative people out there like really like it made me see how narrow my creative lens and my community lens was and so being able to now see all these amazing other artists and makers who are just like doing incredible things that I just had my blinders kept me from seeing because I had been you know, only really in one tiny corner of the creative community. Now I really was able to open up um, that avenue for not only the project, but for myself. So I see myself in so many ways, even though I don't share the same intersections as many of the artists on the Be Seen project, I do share some and I, and I also can use that platform, you know, to help understand and highlight a lot of the things that you know, I have been going through in my own identities, which many, many others share with me. So having that mirror um, has been so important. And it's felt like building, you know, my own container for for myself in many ways, Um, but also, you know, really creating a gathering place and a 
a space for, you know, people to maybe stake their own claim of belonging inside this space. It's beautiful. You have a, an event coming up in the next day or two that I've registered to attend <laughs> called um, Craftivism and Capitalism. And I would love to hear first about the word craftivism, because that's sort of new to me. <laughs> I think I love it because I think I understand it, but I would love to know <laughs> like what um, what your understanding of the word craftivism is, and I would love to hear about the event that's coming up. Absolutely. So, um, craftivism. Well, this is um, an, it's an interesting term, and uh, it's not something that's super new. I think we've had craftivism in our eco system for a very long time. And it really is people using, you know, art and making as a vehicle for influencing culture, changing policy, uh, bringing visibility to marginalized experiences, storytelling, all of that, right? Because all of our making is all of that. Yeah. So craftivism itself as a term um, was coined by Betsy Greer, I think back in like 2003. Um, maybe it was a little later than that, but um, she created the term, putting those two words together, craft and activism, um, and really built the movement behind it that was, I think, embraced by many feminists at the time. And you know, as we take a critical look at feminism and how feminism operates, um, it really confronts how that word has been co-opted by the white feminist movement and how feminism um, has not been intersectional in many ways. And that is really what these disrupt disrupting craftivism conversations have been about. Um, Shannon Downey, who um, otherwise known as Badass Cross Stitch, she's an amazing activist and maker. If you don't follow her, you definitely should. But she and I really teamed up um, wanting to dive into this discussion and really unpack the idea of how craftivism is being used because we see it often, um, you know, benefiting privilege, which is, is not craftivism or um, really just more a self-expression or a creative expression. It's not really doing anything to affect change or, um, you know, become part of the social justice. So we're really trying to dispel a lot of the myths, um, really unpack how the movement needs to be more intersectional, who needs to be centered, where the funding and efforts really need to go towards. <laughs> and so that's what these conversations are about. We had one back in the spring, which I unfortunately missed, but the recording of that first event is up and there are many amazing panelists that you would learn from um, if you wanna listen to that. It's linked up on my website. And this particular conversation is set being centered around capitalism, I think. Uh, the timing of it, just in terms of all the things that I'm thinking about is so perfect, but I think capitalism just changes everything. And so when you throw money into the mix, you have to really be rigorous in your criticism and analysis of like how this is functioning. And so we're going to do a deep dive again with some really incredible panelists that I'm excited to have. And, you know, our host, the Modern Quilt Guild, uh, which is a huge craft community, um, has embraced us in this conversation, even though I think it's relatively new for them. Um, you know, they, they're ready and excited to go there. 
So yeah, we're going to have some really interesting conversation about um, what this all means together and how we can, you know, make craftivism work better as a social movement and really identify the impact and how it should be. Mm. I can't wait to attend. I hope it will <laughs> um, be recorded as well. It will be recorded. Yes, for sure. This podcast will definitely air after that happens. So I would love for them to be able to um, access that. Yes. Um, over the next six months, I'm doing a, um, a course with Toy Marie and Jen Lemon called The Spell of Capitalism. And I'm really excited. I love it. Dive into how capitalist structures were built on oppression. And that, as you yes. say, cannot make an orange an apple. And yes. <laughs> no matter uh, how hard we try. <laughs> it, it can't happen. So I'm so interested in ways in which not only I can implement practices in my own business that draw us back into even further right relationship, but also model that behavior for people who happen to be watching, which it turns yes. out. Yes. Like, <laughs> so it's been interesting to have a platform and feel like, oh my gosh, some people are actually listening to what I got to say. So <laughs> like figure out what it is I'm really doing. And so I'm excited to engage um, in these conversations uh, and continue to engage in these. Yes. It's so important. And I think in some ways, you know, I feel so grateful to be where I am just in this moment in my own understanding and journey sort of aligned with, you know, where the world is at. It's like, it's, it's the moment, right? <laughs> it's the moment to really make it happen. And I think, you know, in terms of everything that we are trying to create in terms of new economy and new ecology, you know, we just have to have skin in the game. I mean, that's just so much of, of where this lies. It's, it's really embracing each other and pulling people in. So I love that you're creating these spaces and having these conversations too. Mindy, thank you so much. I think um, we all have skin in the game if we're really honest with ourselves. Yes. I'm ready. <laughs> Me too. I'm so ready. Thank you so much for your time, your energy, and your beautiful holistic work in the world. I am so grateful for the way you move through the world and the way you express yourself. It is truly beautiful to behold. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you for having me here. Thank you all for listening. The Collaborative Alchemy podcast is made possible with micro donations from my community through patreon.com. And you can find me, Sarah Greenman, at patreon.com backslash Sarah Greenman or sarahgreenman.com. Have a beautiful day.